0: Support for this episode proudly comes from Muntons Malt. Muntins are a UK manufacturer and global supplier of world-class malts and malted ingredients. Muntins work closely with both traditional and modern breweries to find new and exciting ways to enhance beer recipes, improve efficiencies, and create new and innovative products. Muntons provide a full portfolio of brewing malts, from crushed malt in sacks to whole malt in bulk. Muntins also offer a range of liquid and dried malt extracts, which are the perfect solution to common challenges brewers face. From increasing ABV with Muntins Pale Ale Malt Extract to colour addition with Muntins Ultra Dark Malt Extract, Muntins Malt Extracts are what you need. Want support with recipe development or brewery troubleshooting? The Muntins Brewing Technology team are on hand and happy to help. Sustainability lies at the heart of everything Muntins do and they are proud to boast the claim of manufacturing 100% sustainable malt. For more information, contact the Muntons team by emailing hello at muntons.com or visit www.muntins.com. Great beers begin with Muntins.
1: Some things are just meant to be. For many years, the Strongroom Bar & Kitchen in Shoreditch, London, has been something of a destination for great beer in the capital. Not just a great place to drink it, but often to enjoy this beloved beverage in the company of those that brew it, sell it, and market it. Home to countless meet-the-brewer events, beer festivals, and the like. Strongroom was initially founded as somewhere for clients of the studios that operate above the bar, to drink, mingle and be merry, and for some time, the manager of Strongroom Studio was Phil Sisson. But following a successful stint in London, Sisson would end up trading the capital and its music scene for another creative calling, and that would mean starting his own brewery in Glasgow in the form of Simple Things Fermentations. Hello, and welcome to the Brewer's Journal podcast. My name is Tim Sheehan, editor of the Brewer's Journal. When Rob Lovett talks, you listen. The production director at the venerable Thornbridge Brewery in Bakewell is one of the UK's finest brewers and responsible for many fantastic beers. He was also frequently part of the judging panel at the Great British Homebrew Challenge. In conjunction with Waitrose and Brew UK, the competition offered the winner the chance to brew their beer at Thornbridge before it was rolled out to some 70 Waitrose stores across the UK. And in 2016, the triumphant beer was Raindrops on Roses, a 5.3% Belgian wheat-style beer brewed with rose petals. Commenting, Rob said, the beer was undoubtedly well-made, with the roses working in a beautiful harmony with the chamomile and coriander. A worthy winner from a great selection of beers that were submitted to the challenge which goes from strength to strength. The victorious homebrewer in the 2016 competition was Phil Sisson. Having recently moved to Glasgow from London, he wasn't 100% certain what his next career move might be, but successes such as those must have clearly focused the mind. In this podcast, through the wonders of the internet, we speak to Phil about moving country, changing careers and starting a business just before a pandemic hit. John Keeling, The former head brewer at Fuller's says every brewery needs a vision, it needs a strategy, and it needs to communicate effectively. So when Phil Sisson, the founder of Glasgow's Simple Things Fermentation started out, he ensured he had just that. And for Phil, that was a desire to focus on British and European brewing heritage and culture with a modern and innovative approach. There was the intention to look beyond current brewing trends with regard to beer flavour and also a commitment to achieving the highest level of product quality possible through selection of the best ingredients and careful implementation of procedures and checks. Sisson has also started his brewery with the idea of offering two strands of beer, one being bottle condition numbers and the other draft beer in cask and keg format. But for a brewery that only sold its first beers at the tail end of last year, it goes without saying that 2020 has been somewhat different to what Sisson and his peers would have expected.
2: So, yeah, no, it's uh, it's all right, really. And generally, I can't complain, I suppose. Um, I mean, yes, obviously, you could complain. But, yeah, it, I've sort of been in business for most of the time... Or most of the time I've been in business, it has been with the background of the sort of coronavirus and, uh, and lockdown and whatnot, because... I only started, well, my first beers came out the week before Christmas last year. So I had, obviously, January and February, but they're not, as you know, great sales months for uh, for beer. And then as soon as we got to March, then we hit lockdown, basically. So, um, yeah, it, it's a little bit different for me for, than it is for a lot of other people, I suppose, in that I don't really have much of a frame of reference for, for non-COVID brewing business, if you know what I mean.
1: Sisson's first year heading up Simple Things fermentations have been markedly different to how he would have initially predicted. But despite a challenging 12 months, he's not one to look back on the decisions made along the way. Quite the opposite, in fact. And that journey in beer really got going when it came to leaving London for Scotland.
2: Well, why Glasgow? That was really more or less a pin in a map type thing, although I grew up in the northwest of England. My folks are in Cumbria. Uh, My wife, uh, she grew up in Fife, in uh, east of Scotland, and her mum still lives over in Fife. So we were sort of in between or within striking distance of both of our parents, uh, I guess, here. And I suppose another thing was we'd lived in London for 20 years or so, and we were pretty keen to move to somewhere that wasn't kind of the complete opposite of London. We were pretty used to having city... Life, if you like, you know, we wanted somewhere where there was still a music scene, you know, a decent music scene, a nice uh, going out to eat scene, and you know, a a place where things happen and where you know, that felt that had a a, you know, a, a sort of current vibe and whatnot. So, really, that was more or less it. I mean, we spent about five years at least whilst we were living in London talking about not living in London, and over the course of those five years, we talked about lots of different places to eventually go. And yeah, we just happened really to end up in, in Glasgow.
1: Although the Phil of 2020 has a range of decorated beers under his belt, the move into brewing didn't truly develop until the last few years.
2: I think we'd moved to Glasgow before I'd settled on brewing. I'd been home brewing for quite a while uh, and enjoying it. And then we moved up to Glasgow and I sort of did more home brewing, as in, you know, I, I sort of intensified the production, if you like. Uh, and I also applied. you know, it was obviously one of the possibilities for a career. And as part of that, I applied to get onto the uh, Masters at Heriot-Watt and I was accepted onto that course. And really, I suppose that was the point at which the die was cast. And um, that was then going to be, you know, how I went on to make my living. Being self-employed was always the plan, one way and another. So, and brewing kind of fit the bill in that respect. It was definitely something I could do in a self-employed way. I had, as a result of leaving London and coming up here, I had some savings which I was able to put into setting the the brewery up and, you know, pay for doing the course and what have you. So the pieces all just kind of fit, really. So that's how it came about.
1: But before setting up his own operation, Sisson would complete a course at the world-famous Heriot-Watt University.
2: It was a fantastic experience. Yeah, no, I uh, had an amazing year. It was Really hard work, much harder work than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. Partly because I have a young family and I was traveling from Glasgow to Edinburgh, so that knocked a couple of hours off the day each day. Uh, there was a huge amount of work to be done. And on top of that, the sort of uh, usual amount, I ended up being part of the natural selection team as well that year, where where four of us developed and brought to, to market a brand new beer, which happens every year and it's a fantastic thing it's done with Stuart brewing and you, you spend every wednesday for a good while going down there and developing a new beer first of all you obviously decide what, what the beer is going to be you develop it together brew it bring it through fermentation and packaging and then get it out to market and sell hopefully the whole batch and uh yeah that was a, a super experience that i i gained an awful lot from in terms of not just the brewing but the business and and all that sort of thing uh, the Stuart guys were really good m- mentors and uh, very generous with the time. And um, yeah, that was a, a really beneficial thing. And then outside of that, just being on the course, one of the things that I hadn't really expected to be such a big factor was just the other people that were on the course. There was people from every corner of the world, from South America to India, Australia, New Zealand, Africa, goodness no, you know, pretty much everywhere was represented. And so being able to talk to all those people and get their perspective on things was really valuable. Uh, the course was also split pretty much by people who were there to learn more about brewing and people who were there uh, to learn more about distilling. So there was a, a great crossover of information there as well. You know, I didn't really know an awful lot about distilling and I wasn't so much interested really that in that side of things. But uh, over the period of the course, I, I got to know a lot more about it, not just what we were taught, but just, by speaking to people whose passion was whiskey or gin or whatever it may have been. So um, yeah, that was, uh, the whole thing was just, yeah, fantastic. And still in touch with a lot of the people who were on the course, obviously, so that's another great benefit. Yeah, it was hard work, but definitely well worth it.
1: Following his studies, Sisson would go on to work at Harveston Brewery in Alva, before branching out on his own. He had a plan and he knew how he wanted to carry it out. But accounting for a global pandemic was always going to be a tricky hurdle to navigate.
2: The business plan kind of consist was, was like a sort of two-pronged affair. So it was doing bottle-conditioned releases of styles that were a little bit off the beaten track, I suppose. So basically not, you know, hazy IPAs with mosaics and co-citra and all that sort of stuff. I, I, that was never kind of what I was going to... I was always wanting to do something that was more like... Yeah, that, that could run alongside those sorts of things. Um, you know, I always try and make the point that I, I, I don't deride those styles, and I do drink them and enjoy them a lot. You know, but I, my feeling was always that's already been well taken care of. The world doesn't need another brewery doing those sorts of things. And uh, I think kind of a, a, a sort of penny drop moment, if you like, was when I was reading um, Radical Brewing. Um, what's his name, Randy Mosher? and just the amount of different beer styles and possibilities there are within the sort of constraints of brewing beer it, I just sort of felt that there was room for more of that sort of thing to be represented you know I I've never set out to sort of talk about doing you know doing heritage styles or doing any particular style in a sort of textbook way it's more about It was always more about just sort of doing something other than what I sort of felt was already well represented.
1: And the other element of the business was to produce a range of beers for cask and keg dispense.
2: So that was always going to be one strand of it to do that sort of thing, bottle conditioned. And then the other strand would be draft products uh, for mostly, I suppose, the local market. So putting some of the bottle stuff into kegs, but also... Just good quality, well-brewed cask beers, you know, some of that sort of thing again, but also just the sort of straightforward golden ales, pale ales, stouts and porters, not trying to break any new ground there, really, just trying to do that thing really well. To have as a sort of nuts and bolts, if you like, you know, the sort of, uh, the kind of, uh, I don't know what the best way to describe it is, but just, yeah, a steady stream of standard brewing fare for for the local market principally so of of those two strands the, the the bottle condition sort of thing obviously has has been fine and the the drafting just hasn't happened at all more or less. I mean I've done a few kegs and casks here and there but really in the entire time I've been in business either the pubs haven't been open or they haven't really it's not been a time at which it's been great to go and talk to them about buying beer from me for the first time, you know? So it's, it's like half of the business plan hasn't yet happened, you know? Uh, so it's been a matter of trying to run the business on half a business plan, not like half of in a half developed business plan, but half of the content of a business plan, if you, if you like. And the half that I have been able to realize, I really can't complain about, uh, you know, I've had a brilliant response obviously I suppose the whole COVID thing has helped that side of things in so far as I probably wouldn't have had such a response certainly from the local community if it was just normal circumstances I don't know who knows actually because I would normally I suppose be seeing my pump clips in pubs around Glasgow and Edinburgh and further afield and that might have driven more sales towards the sort of bottom condition stuff Uh, I don't know but I certainly really can't complain. how the response to the bottles has gone, it, you know, they, that that's kept me going in a big way. So that's, you know, that's been fantastic. And hopefully the draft stuff will happen next year, you know, fingers crossed.
1: And although there's a great deal of confusion surrounding the hospitality sector, Sisson is busy working on how the brewery's family of beers could look when normality resumes. The
2: idea is that I'll have a number of beers that are often available they might not always be available but yeah you know so for example the Scottish Export that I did as part of the Big Idea Series was really popular and I really liked it and it was just you know exactly what I set out to do really was a beer that I sort of felt should be more widely available and you could you know it it fit pretty well into modern taste as well you know if you like a a, a dark German lager then you're probably going to like the Scottish Export it's just But the the sort of 80 shilling name is pretty unhip, I suppose, really. So doing a, a, you know, making a good job of brewing it, I think, and uh, and putting it out there with some decent branding. I think it sort of brought people to it that wouldn't otherwise have maybe considered it. And and sure enough, it's proved popular and I think could sell, maybe not year round, but certainly I get plenty of people saying, when are you gonna brew it again? So that I think will be one of a few that, uh, that I sort of make more often available.
1: Part of this portfolio is the Big Ideas series, which have been a hit with drinkers during the last 12 months.
2: I'll have this sort of semi-permanent range of, of styles, but I also want to continue to be able to experiment and do seasonal things. And the Big Ideas series, I'll keep going for that purpose. So I'll have the Big Ideas series, some let's call them core range things, and then I may well have a sort of another strand or two of maybe mixed-firm uh, stuff, I might sort of make a, a separate strand altogether. And then collaborative collaborations type thing, that, that could be a, a separate strand as well, I don't know. All these things are a little bit TBC, and <laughs> as and when uh, it's possible to collaborate with other brewers and, you know, that sort of thing, that's when I'll kind of hone it down a bit more, I suppose.
1: Beers produced at Simple Things Fermentations, A brewed on a four-barrel kit and although Sisson's debated starting out with a bigger kit and perhaps a larger team, he's glad he decided to play it safe.
2: It's a four-barrel day Porter kit, third time around. Uh, and it's kind of ideal for me, really. It's, it's certainly nothing fancy, but it's perfectly capable of making good beer. And as it happens, it sort of suits the kind of thing that I'm doing. It's uh, open fermenters and, you know, that kind of suits the slightly more trad Stuff that I'm doing, you know, I, I do a, a bit of Belgian stuff, and you know, it kind of works well for that. And the obviously, the, you know, it's set up really as a a, a Cascale brew house, and 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 I kind of like that about it. Obviously, at some stage, it'd be nice to uh, add some more sort of fancy bits and pieces, you know, a DPV or two. Would there's various things that would make life a bit easier. You know, there's no real sort of temp. Well, the there's no integrated temperature control on the fermenter, so dealing with that sort of thing is more time-consuming and accident-prone than it would be if you were, you know, if you had a sort of slightly more flashy cellar. that's for sure. Uh, but, yeah, all in all, it, it's great, you know, it meant that I could get up and running pretty quickly and completely under my own steam, you know, a, a, a sort of fairly big part of the planning of the brewery and the business was whether to just try and limit it to what I could afford with my amount of savings or whether I should look beyond that and try and get some investment in and you know go for something snazzier and employ people from the start and all that kind of thing so it was a sort of business philosophy decision a while ago that I would start on my own with within my sort of capital limitations if you like and, uh, and, and try and grow organically from there. And then, you know, perhaps bring some investment in down the line once I've got a, a business, you know, a tangible business. And those sorts of conversations just seemed to be more likely to go well once there was a, a tangible entity as opposed to I've got an idea to set up a brewery.
1: And within his own brewery, instilling provenance, that sense of place, was always going to be of great importance.
2: I probably would. I think where that sort of originally, the sort of germ of that idea was, so I spent a couple of years working at Harveston, and they're up in Alva, and I live on the south side of Glasgow, so that's an hour's drive each way every day. So during that time, I listened to a a lot of podcasts, including the Brewer's Journal one, and I can't remember whether that was where I heard Garrett Oliver, but um, certainly I listened to at least one of his sort of podcast speeches, whatever. And he was very much saying, why isn't there more of this sense of place in brewing? You know, why is everybody around the world doing West Coast, East Coast IPAs? And, you know, that very much chimed with my way of thinking about it as well. And it, it's not something that you I ever wanted to be particularly dogmatic about. And, I, again, you know, I didn't want to just do 60, 70, 80 shillings Beers and be Scottish, you know, uh, but I I definitely did want to be something other than this British brewery doing American style pale ales. So that's kind of where that arose. And I suppose, yeah, that process would have gone through my head wherever I'd been. It just so happens, I think, that there's a bit more, or certainly it's perhaps fairly straightforward to do it in Scotland because you've got a, a really strong brewing heritage that isn't really at the top of everybody's consciousness when you think about brewing you don't sort of it doesn't spring to mind just how important Scotland was in the whole brewing thing I don't think so if I'd have been in for example the northwest of England it would have been more difficult to sort of stand out by by leveraging or whatever the, the sort of northwest you know already there's quite a lot of if you go to the north-west of England, there's a really well-defined and established brewing tradition there that lots of people are working within. Whereas here in Scotland, I think there's a little bit more room to pull things out and and sort of put put them forward, you know.
1: For Sisson, he hopes that this character is expressed in these first beers from Simple Things fermentations.
2: So definitely... The Scottish Light and the Scottish Export, they're the the two most obvious ones, I suppose, because they are your sort of totally straight-up Scottish styles. So that's perhaps the two most obvious connections. I've also done a peated pale ale, which isn't, I don't think, a particularly well-established style, uh, but other folk have done them. I know Fine did one with Springbank and the Sky Brewery. Uh, They have one, I think, that they do all the time actually but you know that's a, a great Scottish ingredient the, the peated malt is a fantastic Scottish ingredient that is not at all as, as well used as it, as it could be you know I, I don't think so um, those three are pretty pretty great examples of, of the sort of Scottish stuff and then the rest of them uh, it's a sort of broader outlook you know I think when I, I write it down I I sort of say focus on Scottish stroke, British stroke, European and it's kind of like that, you know. I, I don't I I, I don't want to limit myself to just Scottish stuff, but it's more like a wide circle with Scotland in the middle if you like, you know, and so I I, I like to be able to do the Belgian things uh because there's a, you know, that's the Europe bit, I suppose, and then there's a the best bitter, which is obviously more of an English thing. So it's It's a sort of fairly wide circle, but yeah, with Scotland in the middle, if you like.
1: Away from the day-to-day production at his own brewery, Sisson highlights upcoming legislation that could have a detrimental impact on parts of the sector. Approved in May, he considers the Deposits Return Scheme as an initiative that will hinder many brewers rather than help them.
2: It's going to hit drinkers just as much, if not more, than brewers. And it's a full UK wide problem as well the essential essentially the plan is that in scotland all containers with a glass plastic metal will have to be recycled and ultimately the responsibility for making sure that happens is falls to the producer and the way that it's all come about the producers who were consulted really were the the sort of larger producers uh the sort of Multinationals, basically, so from beer, I think it was tenants, and then you've got the likes of coca cola as well. The small producers, such as us, I mean we're really, really, really small, but even the likes of Harveston and Williams Brothers didn't really seem to have much of an opportunity to contribute to the discussion as as to how it was going to get organized and rolled out, and as a result, you know we we'd end up getting pretty badly stitched up by it it's probably a bit complicated to go into the details, but it's just generally not great news. And it's as far as I'm aware, it was pretty much voted through and was all set to happen was it this year. Sorry, next year, I think it was, or maybe 22. They've now put it back a year because of the COVID thing, but it still is due to happen in its current form. And the the sort of practicalities of it involve... Such things as if I was to send a case by post of bottles uh, or by courier, uh, then I would need within that to have the facility for the person I'd sent it to to send me the empty bottles back. And just, you know, that's one of a list of various difficulties.
1: According to Sisson, the way this will impact breweries outside Scotland is likely to severely affect their desire and ability to sell there. He fears that the increased measures involved in selling beer in the country could easily act as a deterrent to them doing so, regardless if they have the infrastructure in place or not.
2: So then we're in a position where we're not going to see those sorts of names on the shelves in, in our shops, which is bad for the drinkers, bad for the retail shop owners, and bad for food and drink culture in Scotland, really, because we're going back then to Getting an idea more from supermarkets and it's a, a quantity rather than quality thing which is completely at odds with what, what what has been happening and what I think probably most people would like to see more of so yeah that's, a, that's a, a concern that has been bubbling away and it's kind of got put to the back seat a little bit recently but it's going to come back again and uh, And I think the more people know about it and are aware of it and you know, are planning to do something about it the better.
1: Sisson believes that these measures could negatively impact the variety of breweries and styles available to the consumer. But for matters within his control, the focus now is to continue making great beer and plan for a brighter 2021.
2: The plan going forward is to hopefully do what I was planning to do this year, which is, you know, all the draft stuff, uh, attend beer festivals, come you know, take part in collaborations and events and all those things that would have got the name out a lot more widely and a lot more easily than i've been able to do this year so really that's going to be the focus for next year is to just try and do more that raises the profile keeps uh, keeps the business going and brings you know brings uh, the, the awareness to to more people hopefully to expand at least in terms of bringing somebody in to do the production which will free me up to do more of the sales and business development stuff and, and enable us to have more beer on the shelves to, to, the, to go out and sell.
1: The Brewers' Journal podcast is a production of Reby Media, produced and hosted by me, Tim Sheehan. Sound engineering is by Ross McPherson. Series supervision is by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. And a special thank you today to Phil Sisson, the founder of Glasgow Simple Things Fermentations.